Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Welcome to another on-air Bible study. Let's get right to it. Today, we're going to talk about cursing. Don't worry, there'll be no actual cursing. This is a family-friendly show. But we'll be discussing the topic, among other things. Okay, so let's get started, as always, by listening to the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That was Ephesians 4, verses 29 to 31. So growing up, I understood the first verse that we just heard to mean cursing is against God's word. Those with a strict Christian upbringing will understand what I'm talking about. When we said something naughty, this verse was immediately quoted to us. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, Jordan. Yeah, Jordan, even today as adults, we have this idea that Christians must at least pretend to be the sort of wholesome people who never say a bad word or never make an off-type joke, etc. But is that actually what the Bible is teaching? Yeah, let's start to find out by examining this unwholesome word scripture more carefully. As always, we'll use the space method to start. That is, we'll first consider the speaker, audience, context, and then attempt an explanation, S-P-A-C-E. Using the SPACE acronym on today's passage, we find first that the speaker is the Apostle Paul, the author of much of the New Testament, and a highly educated Jewish person, also the one whom God called to bring Christianity to the Gentiles. The audience is the members of the church at Ephesus. The key thing to know about that church is it was kind of a flagship church. It was the home base, if you will, of Christianity in the region at that time. And more to the point, Jordan, The Ephesians were more spiritually mature than some of the other churches because the Apostle Paul had personally pastored them for about three years, and then they also had the other Bible superstars, if you will, as their elders, and that included Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. As for the context, which is where we find the focus of our study today, it's as follows. Ephesians 4 opens with these words, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then next, Paul goes on to discuss the fact that everyone has different spiritual gifts. He writes, 
he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. That's verses 11 and 12. All right, Jordan. So, you know, what is the point of these gifts, these roles within the body of Christ? Paul says it is to equip the saints for the work of the service and to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and achieve spiritual maturity. So then why does he bring this up? We can see why in the subsequent verses. So we're going to read verse 14 here, and it reads, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, key point here, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects. And note that phrase, speaking the truth in love. Yeah, so there was a problem here, as we often see in the epistles, about this time in history. The church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches, again, these letters were written and circulated to many churches in the area, so just because it says Ephesians doesn't mean it wasn't read by several other churches, they were all at risk of being corrupted by the world, specifically the practices of the Gentiles who they lived among. You know, Paul writes, starting in verse 17, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. They have, quote, given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. He says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created for righteousness and holiness. So this is a correction and admonishment, if you will, and he is encouraging the Ephesians to correct one another as well. Agreed. So then, now that we've reviewed the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready to attempt an explanation. So let's pick up here in verse 25, and it reads, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So now in context, we can notice some important things here, Andy. Let's recap some key points from this passage. First of all, Paul says, lay aside falsehood, speak truth. In other words, don't be fake, you know, speak openly and honestly with your fellow Christians. Sure. And then he also says, be angry and yet do not sin, which is a very interesting phrase. It suggests that it's okay to get angry, but to make sure it's a righteous anger and that you control it and don't let it turn into a grudge and something even worse in the form of sin. Absolutely. He also is saying sort of don't hold on to that anger either. Uh, A great Christian saying and a rule for living is found here in verse 26. Many of us know it by heart. If not, we should. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, especially good for marriages, Andy. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially marriages for sure, but even it could be a brother or sister, family member, a friend, you know, sometimes, oftentimes, you know, we'll have disagreements and either party could be upset or angry, but sometimes a true Christian, a good mark or measure of your Christianity or maturity in Christianity It's just going out of your way and picking up the phone, even if you were wronged, even if you're not the one at fault here, you say, hey, look, brother, sister, I love you, man. Let's, I love you, sister. Let's not argue about this. And, you know, you forgive me. I forgive you. I love you. And good night. Sometimes something a little like that not only shines light upon that person as far as, you know, how, how awesome God is, but it also takes heaviness off of our chest. You'd be surprised. Oh, yeah. 
us having to live with the burden that someone wronged us can become a spiritual cancer, if you will. Yeah, great point. Uh, next in the passage, there's an aside about stealing that is important. It's a little bit off the theme that we wanted to see here today. But Andy, did you have any uh, comments you wanted to make about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Jordan, the main thing to understand is that Jesus specifically is saying to Christians, there's no need to steal. Right. Because when we steal, whether it's a, you know, a pencil off of someone's desk in class or whether we have these fantasies about robbing a bank. Either way, what we're actually do is doing is expressing to God, who sees and knows everything, knows our motive, that we just don't have enough faith that he will provide all our needs. And I think that hurts God's heart. I truly do. Um, you know, it's kind of like I imagine with my kids, you know, they're a little older now, but when they were younger, I always taught them that, you know, this simple point, you don't have to steal. Ask and I'll give it to you. And if I don't give it to you, I'll explain why you're not getting it. Right. You know, so, you know, it's key to understand that stealing again is a way that we show that our faith in God is just, it's not strong enough. I like how you related to the children too, because Paul in his writings and, and, and the passage we read today, he often refers to even these mature Christians at Ephesus as children, because many of them were still stuck in a form of spiritual immaturity that led him to look at them as children and talk to them as children spiritually. Yeah, exactly. So, and then comes our key verse for the day. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But let's keep reading. And it says, but only such a word as is good for edification or building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So Jordan, let's break down two key words here, unwholesome and edification. Yeah, and you already hinted at one important point we'll get to in a second. But starting with unwholesome, you know, in the Greek, this word has the sense of rotten, putrid, corrupt. Corrupt is a good uh, synonym worthless, worn out, no longer fit for use. And, you know, in context, its meaning becomes clearer because Paul has discussed the old corrupted self, the flesh, if you will, which is given to sins that he lists, such as sensuality, impurity, greediness, and the lusts of deceit, as he calls it. And, you know, notice the word corrupted is also in verse 22 when he's describing the old self and that one definition of unwholesome is corrupted. So I really like that word corrupted as a placeholder for unwholesome. You know, so in other words, one way to read unwholesome word is a word from the old corrupted self, a part of us, but a part of the flesh versus the part of us that is the spirit. And, you know, it could be understood as words expressing yourself using the sensual, impure, greedy, deceitful language of the sinner inside of you, instead of speaking as the saint that we are called to be. Now, Jordan, corrupt words can also be corrupting to a person. Again, this chapter discusses false doctrines, what Paul calls the trickery and craftiness of deceitful, scheming men, and that's in verse 14. This is no doubt a reference to the many false teachers that arose during this time, including the Gnostics who sought to undermine the very foundation of Christianity by teaching Jesus did not die a physical death. And in this sense, an unwholesome word, a corrupting word, could be interpreted as one that tears down a person spiritually by giving support or credence to false doctrines. Now, we don't have Gnosticism today, but we do have constant assaults against the faith, such as those who teach that you can lose your salvation, and that's just a given. So if you say words to fellow Christians that cause them to doubt the truth of the Bible's promises, that could be considered unwholesome as well. So basically, we were talking earlier about having a dispute and and kind of holding on to our anger and, and not allowing the sun co to go down on our anger. You know, we said how bad that could be. And it, it kind of coincides with this, this same th thought process here. If we're arguing with somebody and, and we yell at them, curse them, put them down, um, or make them feel that they're not a Christian, even though they have faith, 
even though they believe Jesus Christ died for their sins and he rose from the dead. But if I talk to them, talk them down, demoralize them or be condescending as if, well, I'm the Christian, I know better, you don't. Right. You know, in, in a way what we're doing is we're, we're destroying their spiritual ego. And that's something that, that's needed because a person as a Christian to grow and mature needs to be bold. The Bible says, of course, in Hebrews that we need to boldly go behind the veil when approaching Jesus Christ and to confess our sins and to know that we have a great high priest who's there for us. But if we don't forgive people, for instance, um, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, well, then God's not going to forgive you. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And also the false doctrines thing, you know, um, this is a little bit probably off of the Apostle Paul's intent and interpretation. I, we, we don't know for sure, you know, we, we know from the context of what he was driving at, but... It's, it's what we're saying today it could be similar to the Gnostics then. Right, yeah, and, and uh, this false doctrine of um, doubting one's salvation, I've actually seen it firsthand in churches that tend to have a doctrine of assurance as, a, as part of their statement of faith, but what happens is we, there, there's this destructive idea, usually when you're, when you're talking about the parable of the wheats and the tares, this destructive idea about false Christians that could be hiding in the church, people that mm. wouldn't do X, Y, and Z right. if they were actually saved, right. which causes people to start to doubt their own salvation or maybe you know, spiritually mature or weaker Christians to be like, well, did, did, I, did I really say that prayer right? Did I really have faith? Sure. And, and I've seen that kind of uh, be a destructive force within a church. I've seen it too. And, and, and that, that could also be what he means by an unwholesome or tearing down word especially when you're going for the bedrock, the foundation, as the Apostle Paul put it in the Master Build analogy, the foundation of our faith, that concrete foundation, right. and starting to put cracks in that. Very, very dangerous. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's exactly, I think, where corrupting applies here. I mean, what they're doing, in a sense, is people that do that in a church, they kind of put down a hard line that if you're not living to their standard or perfection, at right. least on the outside, because nobody really knows what people are thinking on the inside, right. but amongst the church members, if you're not living perfect or following, you know, the guidelines the way everybody feels they should, then that person is, you know, he must be some kind of like secret spy False that Satan, Christian. yeah, yeah right. Satan planted him in our church, and right. we're gonna have to come against it. And if he leaves, let him go. Horrible. I yeah. mean, that that's you know, yeah. division. That's a sect now. Right. And um, unfortunately, it's it's similar to what Paul was trying to, you know, teach Christians who are faithful at the time not to fall into that category. You know, that corrupting mindset. Yeah, and speaking of build, building and building up, uh, that's the sense of edification, our second word. Edification actually has a word in it from the English that we recognize, edifice, which is a building. So that's really what the sense of the word is in the Greek. It really means to build up. And, uh, you know, we use it connotationally to mean the act of one who promotes another person's spiritual growth. But again, that's that building sense. So, um, you know, where have we heard that before? Well, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, very important phrase, for the work of service, another important phrase, there's your works, right, to the building up of the body of Christ. So that's where we get that building up sense. As a matter of fact, Andy, if you look at that phrase, the building up, in the Greek, it's the same exact word that's translated as edification here in the verse that we're, that we're studying, the, the key verse that we're studying. Okay, great points, Jordan. Now, from context, we see what he meant by speaking edifying words instead of unwholesome words. Remember, unwholesome words tear down spiritually, but edifying words build up. It helps fellow Christians achieve spiritual maturity and express their God-given gifts. It's a beautiful thing. So, you know, this becomes even more clear if we keep reading. And let's jump to verse 29, and it reads, Give grace to all those who hear your words. Verse 30, 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by talking like you're someone who is not redeemed. And he, the Holy Spirit, is not sealed within you. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, Jordan, notice the word slander, which in the Greek is the word blasphemia, blasphemia, or in other words, blasphemy. That's where we get the word today. In English, it has the connotation of speaking sacrilegiously about God, if you will. But the root sense of the word is more broad, to speak in a way, in other words, that injures any good person's name. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of um, sort of uh, sins of the tongue, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's get to the core of it. Let's get to the bottom line here. What's the everyday takeaway from today's lesson, right? That's what we always try to answer um, at the end of our episodes and our lessons. Like, all, all this Bible study stuff is great, but how can I make it practical for my life? And, you know, I, I feel like Christians have been given a lot of half teachings, particularly from the book of Ephesians for some reason, often based on single verses or even half verses sometimes. For, I'll, just give, I'll just give a few examples to substantiate that. You know, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's Ephesians 6.1. And then it goes on to quote the commandment, honor your father and mother. I mean, what child raised by Christian parents hasn't heard that verse at some point, probably frequently. I, I heard it almost as frequently as, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I think even non-Christians hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but what does the next verse say? It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord being the key phrase there. So there's a reciprocity there, an important second half of that teaching. Or how about this controversial verse from Ephesians 5? Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, come on now. That verse sounds sexist and horrible to modern ears. Right. But what does it say a few verses later if you continue to read? And again, to your point about, you know, dissecting, you know, little sections of the Bible and mm-hmm. just focusing on that. But continue to read in verse 25, it reads, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then later it adds in verse 28, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, this word love in the Greek, Jordan, now we've studied before that there's right. you know, many translations of the word love in the Greek. Mm-hmm. It's a much more diverse language. Uh, it's a more complicated and detailed language, whereas in English, it's just love. We use love for almost everything. But here the word is agape love. That, that word agape is the highest level of love that requires one to love as Jesus loved. And it, it's putting the needs of others above one's own needs to the point of the ultimate sacrifice. Right. And we see that half-teaching has also corrupted today's key verse as well. So people, again, stop at let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And that isn't necessarily a call to keep our language G-rated and pretend, at least at church, that we only ever say gosh and darn and stuff like that. To see why, you just need to finish the verse as we've done today. Here it is in the NIV, which is actually a more interesting translation. Say only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And that's the key point, and it's symmetrical with the first part of, of the verse, meaning that unwholesome word really means words that are not helpful for building others up according to their needs, and they're not beneficial. So let your words be constructive, not destructive, is the key. Yeah, I agree, Jordan. So here's a quick question. What happens if we fail to heed this advice? What if unwholesome things constantly come out of our mouths? And I know a few people, and I make mistakes. We all do. That's the point. And then, you know, what if we tear people down when we should be building them up? What are the consequences of that kind of sin? Well, we know we cannot lose our salvation. All glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ for that. And we already are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, 
as it says in our scripture reading. But the Bible does have a warning for us, and that's found in Galatians 5. Yes, after contrasting the fruits of the Spirit with the, quote, deeds of the flesh, which includes several sins of the tongue, as I mentioned earlier, Paul writes in Galatians 5.21, I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is. He writes something similar in 1 Corinthians 6.9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So unwholesome words, of course, don't make you unrighteous just because you say them, but the mindset behind them might, and that, a key word in there is practicing such things, right? I mean, James took words very seriously. If you read the epistle of James, James 3.6 says, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by Gehenna, which is, of course, that burning trash heap outside of the holy city or outside of the kingdom in metaphor. Yeah, very good, Jordan. And also just a little tidbit of information for our listeners at home. The book of James is actually specifically about its, its details for Christians to follow so that they can make it to the millennial kingdom. Right. It's not about salvation at all. And if people try to do that, you know, they have a they have a big controversy there. And that's something for another lesson, but it's just something to keep in mind. You listening at home, James is always about rewards in the millennial kingdom. So Jordan, we see the ultimate reason that we should avoid the language of sin is that we don't want to risk our inheritance and then be cast out of the kingdom because of a bad habit of poorly choosing our words. Yes, great point. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. 
And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom. Thanks for joining us for another 20-Minute Bible Study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.